0: Roger Ebert says that the popularity of this movie is likely to last as long as there is a market for being scared. Critic Kathleen Carroll of the New York Daily News says this movie, scary and graphic, to cause timid souls such as this writer to close their eyes at certain points has a vice-like grip on the audience. And on Letterboxd, Film essayist Willow Caitlin McClay notes that it is very obviously not transphobic due to the well-known fact that trans women hate bugs. On this episode of Ruin Childhoods, we decide the fate of the Silence of the Lambs.
1: reboot Which one will it be? It's the child Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. You know what you look like to me with your AirPods and your sweatpants? You look like a rube, a well-scrubbed, hustling rube with good taste in podcasts. Good nutrition has given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one... I'm just going to cut it off there, but... Yeah, that's fine. Hey, Starfighters. (laughs) Welcome. It's Rune Childhoods.
0: You know, Dan, I was a little bit lost in uh, your little soliloquy that I almost forgot what we were even doing here.
1: I... Yeah, so anyway, yeah, no, it's... I. like, I think we're calling this the Silence of the Lambs episode, but it's really the, uh, entire, I guess, Hannibal Lecter, uh, arc, if you will. Um,
0: yeah. So, uh, I mean, and it's been, <laughs> welcome it's, everybody to Ruin yeah, Childhoods. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, and, and,
1: and yeah, perhaps, you know, few, few fictional childhoods have been ruined the way that Clary Starlings was, um, but we're uh, we're of course we're uh, celebrating movies that are about uh, the FBI centered around the FBI and it's February. February. it is February, and no, perhaps no better place to start than uh, than with Silence of the Lambs, one of the
0: most iconic FBI hunt movies out there. Yeah,
1: yeah, A really. And I mean, going from, I mean, Silence of the Lambs as kind of the iconic centerpiece of, of this franchise, but, uh, Manhunter, which came along, uh, let's, let's
0: take a, let's take a beat. Let's take a a beat cuz we're already going all over the place. Yes. Yeah. On this episode we're going to really talk about Silence of the Lambs and then we're going to touch upon some of the other movies in the the Hannibal Lecter series of films, which you know, we n- definitely need to give a a big shout out to Thomas Harris who wrote the uh the novels, the Hannibal Lecter series of novels, uh which would be Manhunter, well, The Silence of the Lambs. R- uh oh sorry not red, not red, Manager, red, Ge- red dragon, dragon yeah. red red dragon uh silence of the lambs uh hannibal and hannibal rising yes yes and uh silence of the lambs uh even though Manhunter, which was a red dragon adaptation uh starring um Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter who you know we I feel like almost on every episode we're talking about people who are now in succession finding a lot <laughs> of uh you know um a, a brand new resurgence in their careers whether it be uh alan ruck or uh there oh, uh, griffin dunn griffin was one, dunn. Yeah. one we talked about in the last oh, i'm yeah. just talking about people who you mentioned we, oh yes yeah so yes. brian cox I uh, who is uh plays the hannibal elector role in manhunter and um then that was 86 and then just a few years later in 91 we have silence of the lambs which I feel like really any thunder that um, Manhunter would have had definitely stolen. And it's funny because it's like, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about how there are movies that are so iconic that, or or just, you know, well-received, that when there is a sequel or a prequel or a reboot or remake or whatever, you know, people get upset about it. And I feel like, This Hannibal Lecter movies are ones that, or or I guess anything, are ones that are kind of immune to that. You know, it's these books that were, that did very well. And just a few years after they came out, they adapted them. And, you know, Manhunter, I don't know if it did necessarily really well, but I, you know, it's a Michael Mann movie movie. Um, oh, who plays Will Graham in William that William Peterson.
1: One?
0: William Peterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh yeah, who uh people would probably recognize from like CSI, but we've talked about Cousins. him before. He was in Cousins, that's right. He was the the jerk car dealer. And uh Marion um, Motorworks yeah. <laughs> and uh and then after Silence of the Lambs, we get two more Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter movies. Hannibal and then Red Dragon, which is the prequel. Uh, Well, I guess in the series of the movies, it's a prequel, even though it, the book was released first.
1: It's considered a prequel because it's not the first Anthony Hopkins right. as Hannibal Lecter yeah. version of it.
0: And... um. And then there is a, a Hannibal Rising uh, that came out in 2007 that does not include uh, any of the cast from the it, it, uh, the other movies. It, it
1: includes none none of the cast, none of the quality. Ha- Hannibal Rising is the only piece of this puzzle that I did not go back to uh-huh. in preparation for this episode. Uh, but I right. do remember seeing it in the theater, and oh, did you? yeah, no, I saw. So uh, I saw both Hannibal, I saw Red Dragon, Hannibal, and Hannibal Rising all in in theaters. And Ooh, I actually okay. remember going to the movie theaters. I I think it was the week that like Silence of the Lambs was in theaters, but I was much. I was I I remember like choosing to go see Sleeping with the Enemy instead. Because, oh. yeah, just, just like, I mean, Silence of the Lambs, it didn't, I didn't know much about it. And also I was like, what, 14 and, right, uh, and not, not even at that point. And just like Silence of the Lambs, I didn't know what it was. I had heard it was like really like terrifying and
0: yeah, it's a really creepy movie and it's done in a way that is not necessarily because of gore. It's more because of the psychology and the performances. And why don't I go into a little synopsis for anybody who either needs a refresher or who isn't exactly familiar with maybe the plot? Maybe they know the the classic imagery or some of the quotes, but uh, don't necessarily know the the entirety of the of the plot there. Sound good?
1: Yeah, I mean I would imagine there are a lot of people who might think that Hannibal Lecter is actually the 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 quote unquote bad guy of Silence of the Lambs, so I think a synopsis is
0: yeah. More than called. Yeah. For. So after the kidnapping of a senator's daughter who fits the profile for a Midwestern serial killer, the FBI decides to consult with an institutionalized serial killing cannibal psychiatrist named Hannibal Lecter. And their choice to work with Lecter is Quantico agent trainee Clarice Starling. But in order to get any insight from Lecter, Clarice must open up to him about her personal life and gain his trust. After Lecter leads Clarice on a number of trials of discovery, she discovers more about him and his fondness for the art of the anagram. Lecter indeed helps Clarice get into the mind of Buffalo Bill, the serial killer-slash-murderer, while working his way towards a cunning escape in a fashion that only the likes of a soulless genius could pull off. But with more insight into the mind of a monster, Clarice not only finds her way into Buffalo Bill's home, but also his crosshairs. So, uh, Jodie Foster plays uh, agent trainee Clarice Starling, Um, and this was, you know, one of her uh, more, I guess turns into like the the like next phase of her career. You know, she had come out of being a a child actor just a few years before this really.
1: Well, I mean, so you you go back so you got jo- Jodie Foster who wins best actress uh best actress Academy Award for this only uh I want to say 2 years after she wins best actress for The Accused. Right. Uh, and I mean, prior to that, yeah, Jodie Foster, it's hard to like, it's hard to think about Jodie Foster in, I feel like she took some time off to, to go to college. Um, yeah. Yale? Yeah.
0: Did she go to Yale? That sounds about right. Sounds
1: like a Jodie yeah, Foster and thing she, to do.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, er, early in her career, of course, there was uh, Freaky Friday and then uh, Taxi Driver. Yeah, and and, uh, I mean, she goes even back further before then, but still she, you know, uh, did all these roles and then, yeah, went off and and educated herself, came back, uh, won herself a couple of Oscars, started directing, and it sounds like she also had a lot of directorial insight into this movie, which uh, just shows the, um, I guess, the... The genius behind director Jonathan Demme, uh, who at first for a second I was like, "Have we covered anything by him?" And it's like, "Yeah, married Re- to the mom." Very recently,
1: and yeah. And, and yeah, all you need to do is watch the opening credits to *Silence of the Lambs* and start seeing some of the names, um, uh, like Charles right. Napier and Tracy Walter, uh, Chris Isaac, yeah.
0: Chris Isaac. Yeah, it's really funny, and I was thinking a lot more about Jonathan Demme and he's one of those, or was one of those directors who like was so brilliant in his work and, you know, his, his films were for the most part, so well received. There were a few, you know, duds in there, but like, he's not one of those directors who like, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup of one. I don't know what he looks, what he looked like, and there's, you know, a lot of directors who were both as prolific and as skilled as he was, who you know exactly what they look like. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, like you know, uh, people who became more vis- more visible presences in the world of directors, and Jonathan Demme, I uh, just kind of like pounded these out and uh and really I think was well respected by the actors he worked with you can tell because there are so many who work with him repeatedly and from what i gather it's like he really you know this movie is like a true collaboration that only really worked because of his you know leadership
1: well and apparently he was just one of those people who was like just a a real a listener uh and right. in fact, uh one of the stories I was reading, uh, if you look through the cast of this movie, you'll see the name Chuck Aber, who fans of Mr. Rogers neighborhood would know as Neighbor yeah. Aber. And Baker Acre. No, neighbor uh, oh you're, no. you're thinking of Baker Acre from Daniel Tiger. Right, I'm thinking of Baker yes. Acre. Yes, you're Daniel yeah.
0: Tiger. no, but Same uh, universe. he was also yeah. but he was also in um Mr. Rogers neighborhood.
1: Yeah, he's neighbor Aber.
0: No, I'm talking about Baker. Was Acre. Baker
1: Acker also Mr. Ro- yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I remember Neighbor Aber, and he pops up in in this movie, and he he told the story about when he auditioned for it, meeting with Jonathan Demi, and his audition consisted of Jonathan Demi asking him questions about Fred Rogers and just wanting to kind of yeah. talk about Fred Rogers.
0: Well, this movie was filmed. Primarily in Pittsburgh, so it makes sense that somebody from the neighborhood would, would make an appearance. Uh yeah, I mean An it, unlikely the crossover, of Silence movie, of the
1: Lambs and Mr. Rogers.
0: Hey, you know what? There are uh serial killers in all neighborhoods. You might not realize it. Or uh it might be it might be you. Mr. McFeely once tried to test me. I <laughs> ate his liver with some fava beans
1: and a nice candy.
0: Uh so, yeah. so uh, yeah, and you think about the performances in this movie that really made it. And, you know, of course, people think about um, Anthony Hopkins, who before this was certainly a working actor, but didn't really like hit it big. And then this really launched him. Well, he had, he, uh, he
1: had kind of, I know he had a pretty serious bout with alcoholism and that, Kind of mm. took his career for a lot because you you have to remember you know you look back 1980 Anthony Hopkins is co-starring in The Elephant Man, with right with Elephant genre. Man yeah.
0: yeah right but this is, in, this is eleven years later it's like you know he seemed to be kind of dormant and then did this and really 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 just like put his name on the map in a big way and then Ted Levine who wow. plays Buffalo Bill Ted Levine I absolutely knocking it out of the park and just being one of the most like chilling characters in cinema
1: If I remember correctly I and I could have certainly done any I could do the research on this as we speak but I am I I remember this so well that I don't even feel like I need to but when Ted Tally the uh, screenwriter of silence of the lambs Uh one accepted his academy award he specifically mentioned ted levine's performance and how just how bold and 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 now granted this was a movie that got a lot of flack this was like uh, a long you know back when the words you know transvestite and transgender and transsexual were all just kind of thrown around and there, there yeah. was a lot of there was a a lot of um.
0: I want to come back to that.
1: Yeah, no, but yeah, a lot of controversy over m- having the 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 villain of this movie be uh, you know, be someone who, they they don't really tell you.
0: No, Dan. Yeah, they don't. Here's what happens. Uh, Clarice uh surmises that Buffalo Bill is a transsexual. But Hannibal Lecter corrects her to saying that he is somebody who thinks he might be a transsexual just because he hates the body that he's in. He hates the person who he is, so he assumes that he is. They say transsexual, so I'm, that's the words I'm using. Right, yeah. But uh, assumes that uh, you know he is trans and has uh, likely attempted to get uh, you know gender reassignment surgery. And or sex reassignment surgery. And um the from what I understand at the time, in order to uh, get accepted to do that, you first have to if you are a man, uh or, sorry, if you were born with, you know, in in the body of a man, male gender assignment, speaking, I, I think. Yeah. Yes. But you have at that time what you had to do from what I understand is like live as a woman. So wear women's clothing exist as a woman. Uh, and then you can start taking hormones and like, then after that process, you can have surgery. And the, the reality of this character is that he would never do any of that because it would mean going out in public. Uh, you know, you, when you see him just as a person out in the world, which you only really see at the beginning when he's coaxing um, uh, are, are you, Brooke Smith's are character. Are you about size 14? Her. Yeah. Uh, coaxing her into the van. And then also at the end when, uh, when Clarice comes to his door, yeah. you know, presents very, like, masculine. And um, it's not until he's, like, by himself where experiments with with being a woman. And for those who don't know, his M.O. is to uh, kidnap women who are a certain size so that he can uh, kind of harvest their skin and create a new skin for himself.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, seriously. Creepy stuff, but like very... Uh, very iconic, but it's also interesting. So you mentioned that, that he's presents as more masculine when he's kind of out of his, his basement with, you know, where his, where he, he, his, his sewing shop, his, uh, moth,
0: you know, he wears jeans and a flannel shirt.
1: Well, when he's, when he's trying to, when he captures Catherine Martin uh, yeah. He's got Catherine. Martin, he's got right. the played by Brooke
0: Smith. Who Brooke Smith? She's
1: amazing. Around I, every, I,
0: she's in everything. Yeah,
1: I, I think she's. she should be on Great Grey's Anatomy this season. I think. I don't. Uh, know. A anyway, lot of TV. Yeah, Brooke Smith. Yeah. Like you'll pop. Her, you'll you'll see her. Be like, oh, it's her. Yeah, it's, you know. It's, I got your dog. Um, yeah. And um, the song American Girl. Like that might have been the first time I heard that song was in this movie. Oh,
0: it's so good. Yeah, she's kind of jamming out to it in the car. Yeah. When we first see her, it's so good. And,
1: and uh so coming back to the idea of of uh James James Gum, uh Buffalo Bill, right. his when when he's in the house. So like when he's out and he's wearing like a big like puffy like jacket and he's got a hat on right. and he's presenting as a masculine, except he's got like the, he's he's faking the broken arm. Uh, right. But then when he's in the house, he's still kind of like the, the top he's wearing is very, he presents as more of like, is especially with some of his movements, like an androgynous rock star, kind of like a, a Mick Jagger in performance, where, yeah. where his body is yeah. just kind of like, he's doing these lanky things with his body. Like when he, he's holding up, uh, maybe it's, it's when he's got his hands up when she, when she's like, you know, put your hands up and he's kind of, he's very serpentine. Uh, yeah. Very serpentine in, in his movements. So,
0: yeah. Uh, I was listening to, uh, an interview with, with Brooke Smith on a podcast called I was there too, in which, uh, the host Matt Corley, interviews people who were smaller roles in big big movies and it was really fascinating because it's a a character that's core to the plot of this movie uh you know this uh, the senator's daughter who take takes this serial killer this kidnapper and elevates his persona more publicly because he accidentally kidnapped a Senator's daughter. If it was a, a nobody, then it would have been, you know, uh, buried in the papers somewhere. It wouldn't have gotten such a high profile situation, but, uh, you know, where they would risk having, uh, Hannibal Lecter be accessed for his mind.
1: Right. And Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. And so uh, it's this really, really core character. And what uh, she was talking about is how she and Ted Levine became really close. uh, And I highly recommend that people listen to this podcast episode um, of uh, I Was There Too. And they became close. You know, they they were scene partners. (laughs) And they they did a lot of work together. And uh, they just became friends which is so funny to think about because look at their dynamic on screen which just goes to show you how great of uh, actors they are and uh, he said uh he told her that the the way that he developed the mannerisms and kind of the style of the of the Buffalo Bill character was that uh you know he had a toddler at the time and just kind of acted like his toddler And it's funny thinking about it that way. That's a fucked up toddler. well, I mean, you know, little kids, they move in very well, different ways and they're very strange in the way that they just kind of exist in the world. Well, and they
1: definitely love to play dress up and dance in front of like mirrors and cameras. Maybe not in the way that he does they sure do. with a mangina. Uh, you know? But I kids guess, are weird. yeah, they, that's true. Yeah. They do take off their clothes and do weird shit with uh, their genitals. And I mean, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm really going off into speculation land here. But. And we're saying that because we are parents yeah, to yeah, small children. Yeah, yeah. No, no, this is, this is, yeah, actually very true. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but what's really interesting and I'm sorry, I had the mental image of like, just kind of like going out to, to a restaurant in LA and looking over and seeing like Brooke Smith and Ted Levine at a table together and just like yeah. not being able to not look. Right. And be, be, yeah. And it's like Stockholm and syndrome. Walk by and be like, does she have, does <laughs> she have your dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Progress.
0: <laughs> Progress. Uh, but, yeah.
1: And uh, so, uh I'm so there were a couple of, there were a couple of, uh, of really, really fascinating ideas with uh a silence of the lambs and some things that Demi does some things that are uh, like elements of the cinematography. Like there are so many of these head on shots. Like, and I thought of it yeah. when you were talking about Brooke Smith jamming out to American girl, it's the camera is dead on it's a close up of of her face yeah. like you see the steering wheel um uh there there's the moment when um when Clarice and uh, are Ar- Delia Cassie Lemons uh character mm-hmm. when uh they're like kind of just spitballing back and forth and speculating and trying to, you know, figure out theories and make connections with Buffalo Bill. And it just goes back and forth between these two close ups of the two of them and their faces are centered.
0: Yeah. And that's a very Jonathan Demi thing. Philadelphia, too. you see and it. Uh, I, I think Philadelphia, of a lot well. yeah. And right. And uh, I also, <clears throat> excuse me, I, you know, read a lot about how a lot of the characters. Will you know? Are shot looking straight into the lens, yeah. uh, kind of like as if the the viewer is uh, Clarice. And then when she has a close up, she's looking like slightly off. And uh, it's like when you watch it, when you watch the movie and think about it, in with the, those things in mind, it's like it re- You really appreciate it a lot more because you realize how everything is intentional and how the camera is like creating this world with you and uh, and drawing you in in a really fascinating way and I really loved watching I mean the first time I saw this movie I think that I was just like at home it was put it on tv or whatever and it scared the crap out of me it was so eerie and it really freaked me out And I think that the first time I watched it, I was just so like struck by how freaky it was that I didn't really think too much about like why it was freaky or like the, the craftsmanship of the film itself that made it that way. And I, uh, and it, you know, watching it this time, I really focused on that and it made me think of uh, another movie that I, I want to say took some of elements from this. And Dan, I'm wondering if you're going to notice what I'm referring to here, but uh, the movie Midsommar with directed by Ari Aster, where it's one of those movies where it's like, yeah you, if you're not really like thinking about it it's hard to r- realize like why it's messing with you so much and why your experience is so uncomfortable and then when you look at it you're just like because it's a that's a movie that takes place all during the day and it's like you know very beautiful looking and then there's these things that just just make you really uncomfortable and then of course there's a a, a scene in Midsummer, and I don't want to give anything away because it came out pretty somewhat recently, but there is a a way that somebody is kind of suspended uh, in near death that uh, replicates a shot in Silence of the Lambs very much, where Hannibal Lecter has uh, one of his victims suspended in a very curious way. It's a very intentional... uh, (laughs) Very intentional, very symbolic. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And when, you know, well, you mentioned how um, the villain isn't really Hannibal Lecter, but Hannibal Lecter is a, I mean, complete monster in somebody else's monster movie. And (laughs) it's... uh, Yeah, which which it's just you get
1: that in the third act, and and like the part that you're talking about is where that. I mean, you get it a little bit before that, like his interaction with Senator Martin, uh, uh, which is just unsettling.
0: Which is when you see him with that iconic mask on, and uh, his eyes just like. Oh, oh! It's just they're so, so well crafted. They're
1: cold and they're very calculated. But when he when yeah. he's on the attack, like when he attacks Pembry, uh Sergeant Pembry, in, in yeah. I mean, the look on his face and just the uh, like, it's just un- yeah. and and that's something you know. You see that also in uh, you know, it, it's something he does consistently. And Hannibal and Red Dragon. But before we talk about those, I wanted to also talk about how uh Jonathan Demme and Silence of the Lambs really also makes it about, there's so much about, and, and I feel like just to say gender is, is very, um like, confining to what it is. But mm-hmm. from... Uh, From kind of the, I don't know, gendered dysphoria. I'm not using the proper terminology here um, Mm -hmm. of that, that gum is, is dealing with and how Lecter kind of toyed with his patients. So like the, they mentioned Benjamin risk, you know, one of Lecter's patients and victims and how a lot of, a lot of this is also focusing on mental health,
0: Um, Right. And just real quick, uh, I don't think that we went over the fact, I mean, it was mentioned that Hannibal Lecter was a psychiatrist, uh, but you don't, you know, that's explained to you, but you don't see uh, in the same way that in Red Dragon you you see him as, or I guess in uh, Hannibal you see him more as... Yeah, or the show Hannibal, yeah, which we didn't touch upon yet. <laughs> it's, there's so much to cover. I feel like we're rushing through this, well, but we kind of have to. We we
1: do, and and it actually like there it definitely all all connects, and even to some points that you brought up uh, earlier. That it where where like we're gonna come we're gonna get back there, but the sense of uh, Clarice being there's so much mentioned every guy hits on her chilton dr Ch- anthony Heald, yeah uh as as oh, the,
0: anthony Heald is so good in this man
1: he, like he's another one i want to get him in the movie with uh like william atherton and um oh. and but just have them play the nicest sweetest people like ever like uh-huh. like that there's my cocoon remake i think <laughs> Oh jeez. Just like just <laughs> get all like the most awful people from like 80s and 90s movies and yeah. just have them be lovable.
0: <laughs> Charles Dance I'm thinking. Uh
1: yeah, yo, oh, yeah, definitely got got to get Charles Dance in, in there. Um uh, Julian Sands maybe i don't know mm-hmm. uh yeah. anyway and it, we're no, reading they're... off topic here but but the idea even like the shots like there's when uh when Clarice first gets called in to see um Jack Crawford played by Scott Glenn in Silence of the Lambs and and right. you see the elevator door opens and it it's her and it's all these like big guys and then when the elevator door opens and she gets off the the elevator's empty so it, it her yeah. fem her, her like I guess her not even her femininity but just her being a her, woman her presence yeah yeah it's unsettling the the, the um autopsy scene. Uh, mm. when they're in, is it, the, is it, uh, some rural, uh, town where they find, you know, one of his victims and there's all right. these men and she kind of, you know, tells them, she's like, okay, like, all right, time for all you assholes to go. And there's right. a poignant yeah. moment because I think, uh, like, um, Crawford kind of does it's not quite mansplaining, but it is a like a mansplainy thing. And he brings it up afterwards in the car, and he's like, Oh,
0: let's let's listen to that. Let's listen to that. Starling When when I told
1: the sheriff we shouldn't talk in front of a woman, that really burned you, didn't it? It was just smoke, starling. I had to get rid of him.
0: Matters, Mr. Crawford. Cops look at you to see how to act. It matters.
1: Point taken. I love that line because, it, it, first of all, she's right. Secondly, the fact that she will she will say that to him. She's not even a a full agent yet, no. but like this is a character who is is confident and who. Le- Everything that stands in her way is actually, she uses it to propel herself forward.
0: Right. Yeah. And, you know, she does not shy away from being her true self just because, you know, she might be intimidated. um, Because she has every right to be intimidated. You know, she's with some of the most senior people in her organization, and she is barely in it herself. But she knows what... And... Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, she knows what she,
1: she but in, but she's also like, it's so, and this is both in, this is in Foster's performance. It's in the writing, it's in the direction. Like when she goes to her car and just kind of breaks down and, and cries because, and this is also after she's had, she's met with Lecter and she's uh, thought about her, her father who who was killed when she was young and she, she breaks down, but like, she can't break down in front of them there in and there's no and, and there's there's another thing in there that i think you know maybe at the time it wasn't really that prominent but now looking back and saying like okay this is why stigmas around mental health and seeking treatment for mental health are so harmful because look at all of these people who and then of and then of course there's the you know counter argument to that like well some of these people did seek help and the therapist they went to was Hannibal Lecter,
0: and uh, yeah absolutely, uh so I mean I know that we can talk about Silence of the Lambs for uh, a solid four hours maybe it's just that intriguing, um but I do want to touch upon um the other two movies in the Anthony Hopkins trilogy uh as this is a movie about you know prequels and sequels and remakes and reboots and stuff like that to acknowledge that um you know uh well what year did um so hannibal what year hannibal i assume is
1: 2001 so yeah the book comes out in 99 and it was basically one of those like thomas harris is going to write a book so that we can make another movie
0: yeah basically and uh so this one was uh directed by Ridley Scott and it's you know Ridley Scott in 2001 and you can really tell the the era that it's made in and a lot of the ways that things are shot the like I don't know I they I feel like they show way too much the um it's kind of I feel like this is a more complicated plot line uh it's not as it's not as clean. It's not as intriguing. This does have Clarice in it again, but re, recast with uh, Julianne Moore, and it's Julianne Moore is great, but it it's noticeable. You know, you you want to see Jodie Foster like that's that's who Clarice is and will always be, and Julianne Moore does everything that she possibly can with that, but. Uh, it's, it, I don't know, it falls short. And then you have Gary Oldman as this uh, former patient slash... Victim. Protégé. Oh, yeah. Victim. Like, there was a lot going on there that... Uh, like,
1: possible lover? They show...
0: I... Yeah. It's very, very bizarre. And, and he has this fascination with Hannibal Lecter, and he's just this wealthy... Uh, like quadriplegic, <laughs> very, very troubled, and uh, the the movie itself, I think, just uh ends up showing too much. It's it it loses a lot of what The Silence of the Lambs did right, um, by not necessarily showing you absolutely everything in the way that it happens, but by kind of going into your mind a little bit the way that Hannibal Lecter goes into the minds of the people who he's, I don't know, targeted. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. uh, Dan, what did you think about it? I thought it was just a little too flashy.
1: Well, uh, okay. So Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott's movies very rarely get into characters, the way that Silence of the Lambs really got into these characters. Ridley Scott's movies, mostly, and I think about Matchstick Men as as a huge uh, exception. Uh, but uh, you know, there are right, others. Yeah. Ridley Scott's movies don't tend to be as much about character as they are about sequences and moments and images. So and also not to mention like once he got to a certain point just like all of the different actors because it's it's you know uh, look here's um, oh god who plays is Crawford even in this one
0: uh, I that... don't even remember him in it. No, no, I don't think that he's in it. No, but
1: like it's his whole like, oh, look, it's Gary Oldman, and oh, look, Ray Liotta, and uh, Yeah. uh, yeah, so I feel like Ridley Scott's movies they tend to be more of the like visual entertainment and the sequences, like the sequence when he uh, when Lecter kills the Italian cop, right like that was i thought really uh that was really well done but also you're kind of just relying on the anthony on anthony hopkins doing lecter yeah. and people
0: being into that uh, yeah so and you get your hello clarice right. moment because she calls the guy yeah so you get yeah I, but
1: I agree there's so much going on there's the subplot with Ray Liotta's character and right. and Clarice and that just doesn't it, it yeah. just doesn't play as well like it, it doesn't age as well and
0: well especially when you have the the climax of this movie taking place at Hannibal Lecter's I'm, I think we're assuming. No, I think it's Ray, it's Ray Liotta's, Liotta's, Liotta's character's home. Yeah. yeah. And we have uh, Ray Liotta and Clarice. Uh, Ray Liotta, the actor, yeah. <laughs> as himself. Yeah. Uh, Union, New Jersey uh, zone. Um, no, yeah, Ray Liotta's character um, and Clarice are very much like drug, They're on morphine. And I. <laughs> well, He's well, he yeah, he's uh, in some other situation, but she's on morphine and she's experiencing things. And there's like you see the like the trails and like the motion blur with like, you know, you get from her perspective, this whole thing going on, which is very like 2001, like in Mm. camera effects kind of thing. Mm. And she's trying to take down Hannibal Lecter while she's drugged and meanwhile Hannibal Lecter is like slowly taking like cutting out pieces of Ray Liotta's brain and feeding them to him and it is uh it's troubling but it's just way too much and yeah and I I feel like that follows through all the way to the very end you have Hannibal Lecter after escaping and he's on a plane and he's got some like brain in a Tupperware container with him essentially. And I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It was just too much.
1: Yeah. And I remember I, I read the book and then saw the movie. I remember thinking that is things like that with the brain that kind of works in a book. It works more in a book in a
0: book right. uh
1: and yeah and the, i mean there was a lot of controversy over the ending and like i i think the book ended actually with clarice and hannibal like together in rome or or something along those lines uh-huh. like i have i have a memory of like just it i'm
0: picturing i'm picturing the scene from the end of um the Dark Knight Rises where Michael Caine is like at the cafe oh. <laughs> drinking like a little uh, espresso and he looks over and he sees Bruce Wayne with uh, Anne Hathaway. Oh, right. And they just kind of like nod to each other. Like, that's what I'm picturing. Like Michael Caine looking over <laughs> and he sees Hannibal Lecter with Clarice. <laughs>
1: no, but man, imagine Michael Caine as Hannibal Lecter. Like, I, I would say pre like had they had they made Silence of the Lambs in in like the early 80s. Which it hadn't been. I think Red Dragon was published in eighty one. So
0: eighty one. Yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of Red Dragon, um, so Manhunter and Red Dragon. I have not seen Manhunter. Dan. I know. I I watched the clip from Manhunter of I. Uh, oh my god! Why am I blanking on his name? Will Graham. I, mm-hmm. uh, who's. The FBI agent in that one, and it's at his first visit with Hannibal Lecter, who is in the, in the who's institutionalized and imprisoned, and it play the scene plays almost exactly the same between Manhunter and Red Dragon, and I don't know how closely the rest of those two movies. line up with one another, but it was an interesting, and and I just encourage people to go on YouTube and find those scenes because it's interesting to see the way that Brian Cox plays it versus Anthony Hopkins. And it's, you know, I, I don't know if Anthony Hopkins even really saw Brian Cox's performance or if he was just like, I'm going to do my own thing, but I, it's interesting to see the differences between the two.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Manhunter, so so Manhunter is basically like the independent film version. It's the grittier, more realistic looking, uh and feeling yeah. and very Michael Mann 1980s synth music. Uh and yeah. very moody. Uh Manhunter is really kind of like the more like legit version of it and red dragon is the Hollywood version. And I actually Sure. I I I, I'm not a fan of Brett Ratner, but I actually think he did uh I think he did a good job with Red Dragon.
0: Okay. Going into this, Brett Ratner, garbage person. Piece of shit. Piece of shit. Uh I really liked Red Dragon. I thought Red Dragon was really enjoyable. Yes. Really great to watch. Listen to this cast list. So you have Anthony Hopkins, of course. Edward Norton as Will Graham. You have Rafe Fines as uh, Dollarhide, the the villain in this one. Another person who has severe psychological trauma that you know is causing that he's struggling with. He doesn't want to be doing the things that he feels like he has to do. Uh, Which is is really intriguing. Um, You have Harvey Keitel in there, uh, Emily Watson who plays Dollar Hides. Like uh, romantic interest, reluctant. You know she's blind and so she does not is not aware of the world in which he really lives. Although some of those things have to smell really bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you have, uh, Mary Louise Parker as Will Graham's wife. And then you have Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who's like a tabloid writer. Freddie Lounge. It's a great cast. And I feel like they're all doing an excellent job. Rafe Fines is chilling. Uh, he's really, really fantastic. Um, A little over the top, but compared to Hannibal, the movie, not the character, it, it feels, or the show, feels very understated. And I feel like had this come out before Hannibal, it might be like, oh boy, they really Hollywooded this one up. But I feel like coming after the movie Hannibal, this feels not the same as Silence of the Lambs by any means, but it feels a little bit closer to... The vibe. Was it the same screenwriter? Okay,
1: so yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. So Red Dragon very much returns. I, I, I look at it very much in, in, in the way that a lot of trilogies, like the third installment will have more in common with the first installment than the second. Huh. Uh okay. You know, the Indiana Jones trilogy is a great example sure. of mm-hmm. that. But so Red Dragon, and this is where I give, uh, you know, I, I actually give the... The, the production and direction a lot of credit they use the same typeface for the subtitles to show like when they're in Quantico mm. and yeah, it's the same yeah. uh, same typeface um, it, it's uh, a lot of the similar style I do think that where they uh, I don't know um, maybe a misstep and I'm saying this of course you know how much I love Danny Elfman as a composer, oh, mm-hmm. but I felt that a d- the Danny Elfman score for this was, that was like a bit too much. Um, but, but going through kind of the yeah. rest of it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to d- compare to Manhunter because scene wise, dialogue wise, there's a lot that's the same in many ways. It uh-huh. feels like red dragon exists so that there's an Anthony Hopkins version of it. Um, that okay. said, Red Dragon also, uh, so it, it keeps a lot, excuse me, from Manhunter, but it also, it adds a little bit. Now, I have not read the book, Red Dragon, since mm-hmm. I was in, in high school. So okay. it's it's been a while, but... Um,
0: I feel like I remember seeing it At the house, like, I remember seeing the book Red Dragon. Yeah,
1: it was definitely there. Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs, and yeah, uh, I had them all. Uh, So it's the whole, like, the backstory about Dollar Hyde's grandmother, who really traumatized him, is not in Manhunter.
0: Oh, okay.
1: That is not in... So
0: is that to give the... Is that really to give the character a little bit more humanity to make you feel for him a little bit more, do you think?
1: I think so. I also do seem to remember it being in the book.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I,
1: I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong again, did not did not really do the uh do the research.
0: I wonder if, you know, just thinking about films of this like ilk in the eighties. I guess when there's the villain, they don't want you to try to, uh, you know, sympathize for them as much as they do that, you know, nowadays where there's like, you know, some sort of understanding of where this person is coming from. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of examples where that's not the case in the 80s, but like,
1: and I don't think that Red you know, Dragon. Just, yeah. I don't think Red Dragon it necessarily is like going to, you know, get you to feel a ton of sympathy for for Dollar Hyde. He's still uh, a violent criminal, but Red yeah. Dragon also gives you that more. It also does that more just with like the casting of Ray Fiennes, who's. Mm. I mean, Ray Fiennes is an acting genius, and like. So I mean, good. I would have I would said this after Schindler's List and then you add stuff like Quiz Show and Strange Days. But after his, his last 10 years and his work, especially with Wes Anderson and the Coen brothers, I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm like, Ray Fines is magnificent.
0: I am truly considering getting a would that it were so simple tattoo. <laughs> Your
1: eyes just lit up, <laughs> and I would get one that says it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated, yeah, right. I would get one that it. We're uh, well, so and, simple and on also, one arm, and it's complicated
0: on the other. It's complicated. Uh, so just to uh, draw the the lines back to Manhunter, dollar Dollarhide is played by Tom Noonan, who we've talked uh, about. Who. We've talked about in the uh, last Action Hero episode, he plays the, what, the slasher, whatever uh, y- the, that villain is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, it, actually, so I'll walk you through Manhunter here with the cast because you've you've got a great cast here. Um, oh, I, I'm sorry. Actually, before I do that, just to draw some more Sounds of the Lambs, Red Dragon comparisons, Anthony Heald is
0: back as... Uh, yes. as Chilton. Um and it's it start it ends right where Silence of the Lambs Oh it, essentially it rogue ones.
1: Starts. It totally rogue ones. It rogue one. It ones. totally rogue ones Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. Uh, so um so so and also it but also Red Dragon and the ending of Red Dragon is different from the ending of, of Manhunter. The e- Manhunter oh. Manhunter concludes with a showdown between Dollar Hyde and uh, and Graham at Dollar Hyde's house. It's got like Enigada DeVita by Iron Butterfly. It's super really like creepy. I kind of wished I hadn't just like watched it in the during the afternoon. Um I would oh. have loved to have like watched it at night, but on the other hand, maybe not. Uh, so Red Dragon, uh, it, yeah, it brings back, uh, Anthony Heald and, um, it's got, right, Harvey Keitel here and, uh, oh, also, uh, if we're talking about this franchise, we got to talk about Frankie Faison, who, uh, who plays Barney in, uh, in Red Dragon.
0: Oh, right. Red Dragon, Sounds of Lambs,
1: Hannibal, and he's in Manhunter as well.
0: He's in... Oh, he's in Manhunter. Yeah,
1: and really, have, wow. have I ever, have I ever told you my personal Frankie Faison connection? I, you
0: have not, but, or if you have, in one ear at the other. So back,
1: so uh, back in my days uh, of acting in the uh, New Jersey community theater scene and regional theater scene, uh, a bunch of the theaters that were in the kind of Northeast Jersey area, you know, Montclair, Bloomfield. Uh, a lot of the theater companies, uh, you know, like it was very social and like nice community. And we did like, we do, uh, we did bowling nights. We'd do like weekly bowling mm-hmm. nights and I'd go and, uh, you know, and bowl. And the, oh God, I forget her name, but the, I think, artistic director at the Luna Theater Company in Montclair, New Jersey um, was a, a hopefully is uh, married to Frankie Faison who joined us. Who, oh, okay. So I have bowled with Frankie Faison. Uh oh, there you go. He, he's he, yeah. He's no joke. Uh, great <laughs> bowler. Uh, we did not, we didn't talk. Uh, we didn't definitely didn't like talk silence of the lambs uh, because, you know, yeah. <laughs> bowling night. So, Right. Uh, but yeah, so Frankie Faison is in, yeah, I think Hannibal Rising's the only one that he's not in. Uh,
0: right, and that one seems like just a complete oh, departure from everything completely from what I understand. It, it's,
1: it is a pathetic cash grab. Uh, it, it, it Actually, Hannibal Rising, John, is the type of movie that you're talking about where... They try to give you a villain's backstory and try to make you feel
0: sympathetic for him. Because this is the like true prequel going back to like. So from what I understand, it's it's the story of Hannibal Lecter going from Nazi hunter. Is that right?
1: Y- yeah, there are definitely Nazis involved. Uh yet yeah, he he uh it's he's a teenager. Um And he goes to a prep school to play football, but uh, all the other kids are a bunch of Nazis and he stands outside and. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Mm. That's school ties. Um, That's school ties. I I mean, fuck, it should have been Hannibal Rising. It would have been better. Uh, (laughs) Like if Hannibal Rising was just school ties with Hannibal Lecter instead of David Green.
0: Dan, you needn't explain it to me.
1: I know. I I get it. I know you get it, but like, I assume there's somebody else listening. and if that's not true just let me go on believing it uh yeah so his parents are killed during world war ii and i think they're killed by nazis and he kind of like yeah i think he hot hot, hunts down the nazis who like were responsible for his oh like they killed his sister so Mm. yeah so basically it's it's hannibal lecter uh hunting down nazis so how do uh-huh. you not how do you not like that unless you're a nazi there you go so
0: <laughs> yeah i i get that and
1: we, I don't know. It's we don't need to. We don't. It's we don't need to talk about Hannibal Rising. It, it's it. I, I, yeah, no. Um, but I do want to. I do kind of want to shout out uh, Manhunter. So uh, also rounding out the Manhunter cast uh, uh-huh. is so Will, William Peterson, of course, is is Will Graham. Dennis Farina as Jack Crawford. So they're from Chicago. Uh, yeah, he goes all out, sh- Jack Crawford. Off- Get on a plane. Yeah, I can't do it. it sounds like William Devane. Uh yeah. so uh, yeah.
0: a hey, Graham. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Forget will Graham get me Jack Bauer.
0: Uh that's William Devane. Also,
1: fuck it. William Devane would have been great Jack Crawford. Um, so um, so you've got uh Tom Noonan, and they definitely take a lot more time to get to Dollar Hyde because it's not like matinee idol Ray Fines, and he wears this like right. panty over his head. Um, right, so and he's so creepy and so good. He's so much more the character in the book. I mean, because he's not Ray Fines. Other familiar faces that pop up you've got Kim, uh, Kim Greist as, uh, as Will as, as, um, Molly Graham. Uh, Will okay. Graham's wife, played by Mary Louise Parker in Red Dragon. You've also uh, you've also got Bill Smitrovich, uh, who, if you don't know the name, you'd recognize him from things like Sneakers, and I mean, uh, mm. so many other movies. Chris Elliott pops up. Chris Elliott,
0: right? Yeah, Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott, uh, and love a Chris Elliott appearance. And
1: Joan Allen, Joan like Joan Allen plays huh. uh she plays the like the emily watson role the gotcha um, the
0: love the the more
1: the blind lab technician the, the intrigue
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah um and, and it it's 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 so well done but it is definitely like much it's very gritty uh the balance in the cinematography like uh, the light and dark balance like there are just there are sets that are just like entirely white in the background but then out a window it'll be totally black uh
0: Uh it it, it really i mean it's michael mann i feel like if you know michael mann you kind of get the vibe it, it's, um although i i've only seen clips online i do intend to to watch more of it it's just not on any streaming services that i have so no. um i could only watch so many hannibal lecter movies this past week i <laughs> i will
1: happily uh, lend it to you if the opportunity yeah. does not arise before i next see you but that said red dragon i remember seeing that in the movie theater and just also, it's got like you said those those the powerhouses of that time, the early two thousands. Edward Norton and Philip Seymour Hoffman.
0: Yeah, and Ed Norton was was great.
1: I liked he's, him. He's great. Uh, and he it's kind of like if anyone. What I love about William Peterson in Manhunter, or at least the way he's shot, is it re- he really looked like you look at that guy and you look like you like he has not slept in a week.
0: I was gonna say tired. That yeah. From what I could gather, yeah. oh, and I, uh, yeah. yeah, so believable. So, so Dan, we are we're an hour into this, and I feel like we could could just keep on going and going. Uh, so aside from these films, which are adaptations themselves, I uh, we clearly have this more recent Hannibal uh series with Mods Mikkelsen and uh, Hugh Dancy as Will Graham. And Jillian uh, Anderson, I don't know her character's name, but she plays like, uh, Hannibal's psychiatrist. Right. And I, uh, I watched probably into the second season. I think it might have only been three seasons. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. It was just like a really beautifully shot uh, show. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is an amazing Hannibal Lecter. Um, I mean, Perfect. he's incredible. And of course, you know, that he can get the job done and, uh, it does show you a lot more than what silence of the lambs, you know, like, I don't know, you definitely do get a lot of the same type of stuff that you see in, uh, Hannibal, the movie in terms of like cooking body parts, oh, like, you know, uh, organs and stuff yeah. like that, but it's done in a more tasteful way <laughs> and tasteful. And it just works. It just works a lot better. And uh, Hugh Dancy does a fantastic job as Will Graham. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say about it. It's just a really solid show. And it's one of those moments where a TV show comes out about this beloved villain. And I don't believe there was much of a blowback in terms of people saying that their childhoods were going to be ruined Probably because this is not a, you know, uh, a popcorn movie. This is not, you know, something that's going to be somebody's like comfort movie, (laughs) Silence of the Lambs. So uh, you do get away with being able to, I don't know, um, have, you know, an experimental film like, or, or series like Hannibal, plus the fact that. Anthony Hopkins is not the first on-screen Hannibal Lecter.
1: Right. And that yeah. that's where this franchise gets away with with all of the like recasting. It's also why Clarice is the exception because you have yeah. through Manhunter and Red Dragon you have all of these different portrayals of Will Graham, Jack Crawford, yeah. Hannibal Lecter. So you can I, I and I think the fact that like Manhunter kind of came out and was was what it was, but then Silence of the Lambs came out, and I mean huge. We're talking I think the third movie in history to sweep like what are considered the top five Academy Award right. categories. The top five. Um yeah. picture director, actor, actress, uh screenplay, in this right. case adapted. But yeah. it, it you don't right, so you have that like well, it it's already been recast. Anthony Hopkins is already not the first Hannibal right. Lecter, yeah. So it it's a lot more about the characters in those. I mean, really, it should be just about the characters anyway. But especially when you're showing yeah. them at different moments in their lives. So, like, having a younger, imagining a uh, Hannibal Lecter even pre-Red Dragon, that's Mods Mikkelsen. And it shows the right. beginning of his, because that's how it starts. And that's another thing they don't show in Manhunter. In Red Dragon, they show you the whole setup and how Will yeah. catches Lecter. Which I liked. Yes, Yes, yeah, I, th- which I thought I liked. it was a positive yeah. addition. I thought it was... a uh, right. Yes, but... So this Hannibal just builds more onto that, and Ke- Lawrence Fishburne as, as Crawford, and I don't know if the series... Right, I don't right. think the series ever brings in Clarice. Uh,
0: I don't know. If they did, it would have been third season, because in the story, you know, it's Will Graham's thing, and... I don't know, but but Dan, I. So what what I want to know, is what would you do with this? Okay, so but before we <laughs> jump into that, because I'm curious, well, I'm curious to know if you if your mind went where my mind went. Well, I mean,
1: musical, of course, but that's been done. <laughs> okay, silence. So silence, the Silence of the Lambs musical. I remember hearing it. I think like the people who wrote it, like it got to the attention of. Uh, Opie and Anthony, who uh, oh, you know, okay. kind of shock jock, shock jocks. back in the late '90s, early 2000s, and that's where I heard problematic. That yeah, definitely problematic. Uh, and that's where I, but that's where I heard, uh, um, the Silence of the Lambs musical was interesting. Was on there, uh, <laughs> so and it, it, it's definitely it's funny, but I think it's one of those things. Like, I don't know that I would want to actually. Go see it uh, on stage. I think I just right. enjoy hearing,
0: knowing that it exists. Yeah,
1: yeah, and hearing hearing the songs every now and again. So i i i had a few i, I had just a few ideas ranging from just like remakes and seeing like and, and and even taking something like Silence of the Lambs and now like thirty plus years later, saying, okay what what can we do about this maybe we can be a little bit more uh you know cultured and show a little bit more about the you know behavioral sciences and and the mental illness and be a little more uh scientifically accurate and still just present a a quality a quality thriller um mm-hmm. i i was thinking about a a sequel that would feature as its main character the son of Will Graham who in Red Dragon it's Josh Man. Graham and I think he's got a different name in 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 Manhunter but um kind of like a, a Josh Graham who find who you know uh hunts down Hannibal Lecter and just for all of the damage that Lecter did to his family uh, uh-huh. and kind of like go into the, go further into the Will Graham story, because when we leave Will Graham, he's just kind of like, he's retired and yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so back for one more job. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: that's what happens. Yeah. He gets pulled back in. Yeah. So, no. so thinking about like, uh, a, a Josh Graham focused uh focus sequel and we you know anthony hopkins just you know won another oscar a couple of years ago uh for the the father father. yeah it's really good like i don't i didn't see enough
0: i i only watched the first like half hour of that movie and it was definitely like whoa okay this is an entire experience i watched
1: it on a plane uh oh it it was hmm. a good plane movie good plane movie Uh, So I I was thinking that I was I I think most of my most of my thoughts uh, were around the filmmaker behind it. And I think that having a um, having a non-binary filmmaker, uh, Mm. you know, kind of helm a a Silence of the Lambs remake would be a good idea. I also I was thinking of just like because this is such a. Uh, you know, female centric s- story, especially if you focus on on silence. And I was really thinking right. of some. I, and I I thought of Mary Lambert, uh, uh as a director. Mm-hmm. And then I thought of Mary Harron, uh, who did American Psycho. And and oh, right. and yeah. then I and then I was like, well, why didn't I think of Cassie Lemons all along, as right uh a a, a just exceptional director. Who definitely has some insight yeah. on this story,
0: yeah, and i I do just want to note that uh, from what I understand, and please you can email ruinchildldsespda dot com if you uh, believe otherwise. But I from what I gather, uh, Jonathan Demi did a, a, a amongst the trans community. Uh, this is regarded as a very respectful uh, portrayal of the the trans experience, the the misunderstanding of the trans experience, mm. and uh, the there are people who are trans who have spoken out about how uh, Jonathan Demi did a really thoughtful job of you know explaining things in a, in a way that were, uh, indicative of the way that trans people were viewed at the time and kind of said like, no, this is something else. Like, because, uh, in the scene where, uh, Clarice indicates that, you know, uh, you know, the profile of the transsexual is typically very docile and it's just like, oh, you know, forget about what you're reading in your profiles. There's more to it than you would understand that I get because I'm a psychiatrist and I know that that's not what was what is going on here. So let's just kind of brush that aside. Mm -hmm. This is somebody else in a completely different situation. And I'm not saying then that it it would not be a good idea to have um, somebody who maybe understands the trans experience more or at least gender fluidity more to uh, helm a Silence of the Lambs or a, you know, a remake or something in this world, um, because certainly uh, all, you know, uh, representation in those communities is a positive thing. And do they necessarily need to be doing a story about a character that might be undergoing a psychological hardship because of that you know that's not the case necessarily but well right yeah. but
1: yeah i guess my my thinking there is that you know it is it's a movie that had a problematic image uh and i think also just kind of also giving filmmakers that aren't going to get as much of a spotlight giving those filmmakers a spotlight <laughs>
0: Totally, yeah. totally. I mean, Dan, in the in the words of uh, Clarice Starling, it matters. I
1: mean, Cassie Lemons honestly like would Come on, be Dan, my, that was good. That was very good.
0: It was my my Clarice was pretty good. It matters. It matters. <laughs> it matters. <laughs>
1: director Crawford. Uh, but I I would say I would yeah. like I would love to see I mean, you know, and I also I wouldn't like Robert Eggers was another director I thought about who's just really good with like like mood and uh, ironically silence um <laughs> yeah. and and like building uh building tension i i, I don't necessarily know that uh, i like want a remake but i i also do think it's 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 a story that can uh speak to people and i i think i would sooner go with the silence of the lambs remake because You've got and fuck it you cast Mods Mikkelsen as Hannibal. Why not? <laughs> like right. He's he's kind of he's that way I think like I feel like you've got some foundation in uh you know like we've got the acceptable Hannibal Lecter and enough time has passed where we can we can have a new a new Clarice and who like I don't who would that Clarice
0: Starling be? Kristen Stewart that's who I, my mind just went to right away.
1: Oh, oh there's the Jodie Foster connection, Panic Room. Uh
0: yeah, there you go. Kristen
1: Oh yeah, so Kristen Stewart actually yeah, um yeah, I mean I didn't even give it much thought, but <laughs> Kristen Stewart uh yeah, actually would would not be a bad uh not be a bad choice.
0: <laughs> uh I don't know if you saw Spencer but she's fantastic as uh as as Princess Death. I
1: haven't seen it, but uh, that's that seems to be the uh, case. So so all right. So so where yeah. where, where where are you heading with this?
0: Um, well, I do. I just also want to note that uh, the the odds of us getting a true uh, new story in the Hannibal Lecter world, um, you know, unlikely. Uh, Thomas Harris, who wrote them, you know, he's in his eighties. And I feel like if you're going to get a true uh, Hannibal Lecter or, or story in the Hannibal Lecter world, you're going to want to go to the person who, you know, Source. created the character. Yeah. Um. So I'm thinking that maybe we go in a very different direction, Dan. Uh-oh. And this is kind of hitting on some things that are very popular, popular these days, especially concerning a a franchise that involves so many layers and um and, and and different actors playing the same characters and and kind of spotting those differences and similarities so in my idea the FBI confiscates the laboratory equipment of a scientist who's suspected of potential terrorism but what they don't realize is that one piece of gear has the ability to open up a portal, a portal to multiple dimensions. And after it is activated, a wormhole is opened on the other side of a very thick stone wall uh, and where Hannibal Lecter, who's now in his 80s, resides. And excited for an opportunity to escape, Lecter enters multiple dimensions, collecting the other versions of himself to create the ultimate cannibalism commune. But it's not so easy with Will Graham and Clarice Starling on their tails, especially since they have also collected interdimensional versions of themselves. So you've got uh, Julianne Moore, you've got Jodie Foster, you've got, is it William Peterson? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and you've got uh, Ed Norton, and you've got Hugh Dancy, but you've also got Mods Mickelson, and you also have Brian Cox, and you also have Anthony Hopkins. It's into the Lecterverse, Dan.
1: I, uh, oh my God. Wow. That is, that's, that's quite something. So it's just, yeah. All... Dan, we're
0: playing with, we're playing with Monopoly money this here. This is true. We may as well go for it. This
1: is, this is true. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've just got them all. It's funny because you meant like you started talking about it, but for some reason I also started thinking about, uh, Last Action
0: Hero. <laughs> When oh it's with Tom Noonan, yeah, uh, you know, you you the you got your multiple dollar hides here, <laughs> and it's really fascinating, uh to think about like these people who are in their careers still like, you know, I mean, aside from maybe William Peterson, who's gone into the the procedural television route, but like certainly can uh you know, make an appearance as as kind of just like a, hey, that's right, he was there. But, you know, Brian Cox has never been more popular and has like completely hit a new generation of fans and like who wouldn't know him as Hannibal Lecter. I mean not that. Or the chief from Super Troopers. Super, or the chief from Super Troopers. That's absolutely right. Uh so to get Brian Cox and Anthony Hopkins together as Hannibal Lecter's and you know, and then you also have Mods Mikkelsen. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's just like a really, I uh, would never ever happen in a million years, but Hey, why not? Because we're having fun. Oh, uh, this is the podcast. Oh boy.
1: Yeah. The, the scene where all the Hannibals have, have dinner together is going to be a blast.
0: Ooh, who are they having for dinner? Anthony healed.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Something chilled. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so yeah i i just i just wanted to have fun with it because this is such a uh an impactful series that honestly like it could be done done and it's totally fine but if it came back again it's it's almost like a oh let's see what else someone's cooked up for this cooked up
1: wink yeah yeah no just, yeah giving us a piece of your mind there uh Oh yeah, no, would, Ray Liotta. Yeah, Ray Liotta. Yeah, I'm like, would Julianne Moore come? in? <laughs> Julianne Moore would just kind of step in through the portal and then say, Nah, that's okay. I'm good." Uh,
0: you know what? I, we're we're playing pretend yeah. in this world. They're all game. They're all into it.
1: Nice, nice, and 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 yeah. it, just like four different four Frankie Faisons.
0: No, it's just the one. Just the, <laughs> No.
1: <laughs> Barney and then there would be Bowling Frankie Faison would be in the universe. There yeah. you go. There you go. Yes. Uh,
0: so, um, Dan, uh, yeah. is there anything else that you wanted to add? I, oh, I've got something I wanted to add before it becomes a one more thing for next week. Mm. Uh, so, uh, a few episodes ago, we were talking about movie posters. And I feel like the Silence of the Lambs imagery is one of those, like, classic like posters you know you have the like very contrasty like white face I'm Jodie Foster and I, I imagine I is it, it
1: depends on the, I remember there being a couple of different posters so I, I think the...
0: but the I but the, the like the real like yes. iconic one the one that you would recognize we, yeah and then Jody you Foster. have the the moth with the skull pattern on it and it's you know even though it is Jodie Foster it's more just like it almost kind of lacks any sort of real identity that it is Jodie Foster, which I always appreciate when a movie poster doesn't necessarily f- highlight the like l- main actors. It's right. less of a marketing tool in the sense of like marketing the people where it's marketing like the, the eeriness of this movie. And uh, that imagery is so present and really shocking and this is a movie that is called The Silence of the Lambs, which in, unless you watch the movie and you hear why it's called that, it's just a great fucking title yeah. for a book or a movie that, like, is intriguing and it tells you nothing about what you're getting into. I feel like if this book came out now, there would be some sort of marketing team being like, no, you've got to do something with the Hannibal Lecter, or like cannibalism, or you know, like Buffalo Bill, or you know, something like that. Would it be and, Would
1: it be Ghost to cast Army Hammer as Hannibal?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, there it is. And so there, there uh, was a
1: poster. Okay, so there there was a poster that it was like. So the, the poster that everyone thinks of is uh, basically Jodie Foster's face, but like, you know, very right. little definition. There is another poster that it's like half on one side. It's half of Hannibal. Right. And then the other side is half of of Clarice. And then the middle, there's some some text. But, yeah, no, th- this is just like brilliant poster work. And actually, I like the regular just the straight up like face jodie foster yeah. face poster
0: yeah no it's great i mean that's the thing that people remember and uh, so that's something i wanted to definitely be sure to to add before we finished up here um and yeah i we'd love to hear what you all think uh email us at gmail.com, check out the link tree in our uh in the show notes and you know, communicate with us and follow us on social media and buy some merch, support the show. Yeah. Dan, anything else you want to add?
1: No, I'm sure I'll think of it in like an hour and forget to write it down and then think of it at another very inconvenient inconvenient time. But <laughs> yeah, no yeah. not nothing for the moment. I'm just going to share what what we've got on tap next.
0: And that Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we like we said it is February the uh a month celebrating the the films depicting the FBI
1: yeah and uh you know we we of course started with silence of the lambs a you know a record academy award winner undisputed cl- classic uh and we are going to follow that up with perhaps the other end of the spectrum uh actually a film that I haven't seen since it was first on uh on v h s and that would be ni- <laughs> 1988's feds starring Rebecca de Mornay and mary gross
0: yeah uh another uh female driven f b i uh romp <laughs> i don't know if you could call anything anything we've been talking about a romp today but uh adventure
1: i i I honestly could not tell you a damn thing <laughs> about this movie other than that it stars Rebecca de Mornay and mary gross i and Mary gross I, I feel like it it I, there might have been some type of like they might have been trying to be police academy, but
0: we'll we'll talk about it next time, yeah,
1: I don't know, so uh, whatever I, It's been long enough That I'm excited To check it out And of course It's February yeah. So we gotta watch Feds
0: Gotta watch Feds man. Gotta watch Feds So Dan As you are Riding in an ambulance Wearing someone else's face I wish you a good journey Good journey I am Nothing Jody,
1: tell me,
0: Jody, how I can earn your love. I would swim oceans, I would move mountains, I would do anything for you. What do you want me to do? I am unworthy of your love, Jody, Jody. Let me prove worthy of your love Tell me how I can earn your love Set me free you